1: Hej och välkomna till ett nytt avsnitt av Vinpratarna- där vi idag ska få träffa ingen mindre än Silvia Altare- vinmakare på legendariska Piemonte-egendomen Elio Altare. Hennes pappa Elio ingick i det här gänget som kallade sig för The Barolo Boys- och gjorde revolt mot gamla traditionella vinmakningsregler- och började leka med barriker och andra mer moderna metoder. Och Silvia själv har jobbat i företaget på heltid sedan 2003- Och i den här intervjun får vi höra henne berätta både om vad som händer i Piemonte i stort och självklart också med egendomen Altare. Intressant och högenergisk person det här, Silvia Altare. Så håll till godo, trevlig lyssning. Welcome to Vinpratarna, Silvia Altare. Thank you, for having me. We are yeah. so
2: happy that you're
3: here. Yeah, Grazie. yeah. So you Wonderful. just arrived from the airport? Fresh, maybe not so fresh, but yeah, just you arrived from, from the air airport. <laughs> yeah, I left a few hours ago.
1: <laughs> you left two o'clock, two thirty. Two, two thirty, 30 left morning. La
3: Morra. <laughs> and I wanted to make sure I was here on time, so I left pretty early.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. I made it fine. Mm-hmm.
3: Happy.
1: And of course you're from, from the the main Elio altar.
3: Yeah, that's my dad.
1: Yes. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit? for people I, I mean Altar is, is quite well known in Sweden I would say but anyway it just tells a little bit about the uh, history of the domain
3: well thank you uh, I guess uh, Barol is very well known these days anywhere you can find Barolo wine anywhere in the world uh, it wasn't like that just uh, 30 years ago and uh, definitely the name Elio Altare, Elio is my dad but the brand Elio Altare, I can call it brand these days ah. but the winery pops up because of the history we have and if we go back a few hundred years, the history of my family is very similar to most of the wine families of the region. So farmers, grape growers, my grandparents or my ancestors, I could say, you know, had hazelnut trees, fruit mm-hmm. trees, cattle, and they sold most of their grapes to the negociants, to the cooperatives. My grandfather, Giovanni, was the first one to bottle wine. First Altare wine goes back to 1950, which I still have at the winery. I have a very good library. Oh, cool. fantastic. Yeah, going back to the 50s. But the big changes happened in uh, in the 70s when my dad, crazy guy, decided <laughs> to um, physically take over. So obviously it was a natural decision because he was the man of the family, he was the kid, and he was going to work there. But my dad is pretty stubborn, and um, it happens that he was the... Only one in his family that got an education, but when I say education, I don't mean college or school. He just started reading books. He was very curious, mm-hmm. and my dad went to third grade, I mean elementary, but mm-hmm. at least he knew how to read. Mm-hmm. My grandparents didn't even know how to read or sign. My grandparents' documents were signed with an X. I'm not joking. They were born in the early 1900s, no. so my dad was pretty curious, started reading, and studied doing researches about wine regions in the world and he found out that outside La Mora, hey, they were making wine. He didn't know that. Not just that there were there was wine in Barbaresco but there was wine outside on the other side of the Alps. Yeah. France, ooh, Switzerland, Germany, Austria. So my dad decided to be adventurous and explore and when he told his father for the first time And this is funny, it sounds like forever ago, but in 1976. So my dad was 26 years old. He told his parents, look, I want to go to France. And his parents were like, don't go. This is so far. Well, one hour you cross the Alps. Four hours and a half, so five hours and a half here in Burgundy. My dad decided to go visit because he was eager to learn to see the people he was reading about in his books, and this is I'm going to say the beginning beginning of the of the revolution mm-hmm. that we had in my family, and then that slowly exploded and expanded to the region. So, what happened in I can definitely say that my dad has been one of the first to take the decision to be adventurous and not just to visit, but to start experimenting, changing things in the vineyards, in the cellar. And what happened with those kids is that they were mostly eager to have a better life. It mm. wasn't just, oh, I'm going to make a different wine just because I'm crazy. But there was a combination of a lot of things. To be a farmer back then was a shame. And mm. back then means only in the late 70s. Mm-hmm. So it was a shame. You couldn't even find a wife if you were a farmer. I mean, you stink. You have <laughs> grapes, and you sell stinky Barolo. Today, it's cool to be yeah, a farmer, right? right. So I'm yeah, here in yeah, Sweden yeah. doing a podcast. So how uh, so cool <laughs> But you know, so those kids, because my father was mid twenties, and some of his buddies were even younger, they wanted to to be like those guys they've been reading about when my dad met for the first time Hubert de Villene Romane Conti or Monsieur Lafarge those guys were rock stars already and he was like I don't want to be like them why I have to be stinky can't (laughs) find a wife and those guys are rock stars so literally the the revolution started by I'm going to say copying. When you by emulating, like uh, no nothing was invented. I mean, the Romans planted vineyards in the region where we live 2,000 years ago. So nobody created, invented anything. But definitely, an, a different approach was used to to the winemaking, to the vineyards managing, and we can get deeper into this. But sometimes the revolution of Barolo is just referred to one thing which is barrels yeah. baric. it's yeah. used as a little you know as almost like as a, as like the excuse the revolution is mm. that mm. It's, no, easy. It, yeah, it's easy yeah it's easy to just use one thing but it was a much broader yeah. picture and so the history of Altare yes it's a history of hundreds of years of farming but the real history started with my dad which is only really 40-50 yeah. years ago yeah, yeah. so he's known as one of the rebels one of the Barolo boys that's the name of the group he started with his buddies,
2: and they're all there. And now it's the new generation taking over. Yeah. So when he came back from his travels and came back to La Mora, what, what was the first changes? I mean, this happened gradually. Gradually,
3: absolutely. But what was the, the first thing, uh, my dad always says he noticed how the vineyards were managing in a different way. They were doing green harvest. Mm-hmm. Back home, my grandfather was just hoping to make... More grapes. The more he had, the more he could sell. The more money would come home. So he decided to do his first green harvest back in the fall of '76, and my grandfather had his first heart attack because he felt like you're wasting what God gives you. You're going to be punished. You're going to hell.
4: <laughs>
3: so green harvest. My dad started being organic back then Also, so we've been organic yeah. from now since 40 years. My again for the because of the necessity of making a lot of grapes of producing a lot a lot of chemicals were used chemicals sure. pesticides yeah. fertilizers and my dad stopped using them mm. started using copper sulfur which you might argue they're m- metals but it depends on how much how much use, of it you yeah. use we use a cow manure still today mm. We have cows, so we make our own shit. We're very specific uh, even about that. So farming, first thing, that changed. Because that's where everything starts from, vineyards. And then in the cellar, my dad was shocked how those guys in France, and when I say those guys, I mean Angel Lafarge, Robert de Villain, they didn't have chickens shitting around the cellar or cows. My grandfather made wine within the animals, in the stable. So Mm -hmm. the cellars were... Dirty. Sure. There was no running fresh water. There was no hot water. So my dad brought hot water in the mm. cellar, which was a scandal because mm. Grandpa thought he was wasting it's money. That's yeah, a hygiene. I, well, yeah. And he pushed the chickens out. So you see all these little <laughs> things that make us laugh today. Forty years ago, blah, It was. That's why they call it revolution. Yeah, mm. yeah. Because what those guys brought is like almost like when the wheel was introduced to, <laughs> to us. I mean, uh, really? No chickens hygiene. in the cellar? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. <sighs> Wow! So yeah. it's a lot of little details, but the details brought us to where we are today. That I'm having a podcast in Stockholm when 40 years ago my father couldn't find a wife because he was a farmer. <laughs>
1: mm. But yeah, but was he after to also change sort of the um, the taste, the, the profile of the wine, or was was that the idea, or was it just to make these changes with with hygiene and all that, and, and see, see what happened, or, or did he have a specific? I want we are here I want to do that obviously that's Uh, what
3: you need you need a goal you need a target and the target was to make clean wines Mm -hmm. accessible accessible wines Mm -hmm. wines that you wouldn't have not have to wait 25 years before you would drink them that's the joke we always use when people visit the winery and i show them the library and i have wines from the 50s and the 60s from my grandparents and they say oh my god you drink these wines and i'm like ha, they're still tough to drink today <laughs> but let's say my grandfather wasn't the most exciting winemaker but um his wines were just very rough and the aging was done in these big botti in yeah. these big vats that were I don't know, 100 years old, and nobody ever washed. So they were stinky, reduced, high tannins, dry. It's just a combination of a lot of things that pushed my dad and his friends, not just to change things, but the goal was to have a, a wine that was drinkable, and they succeeded on mm, that. Mm. With, you know, you make mistakes along the way when you don't know. Sure. With of any bit, so my father and his friends. Uh, when I say his friends, I mean uh, Domenico Clerico, Vercios, Cavino, Sandrone. I I grew up with these guys when I was a kid. I remember saying they were they would gather together, have dinners, you know, at my house. We would go to someone else's house, and they would taste each other's wines blind, and they would say, "Geez, you made some terrible wine." So <laughs> they made mistakes. Yeah. Too much oak, too much concentration, too much whatever. And then everyone found their path. That's, yeah. mm, mm. Normal, that's normal.
1: And you started working full time two thousand three. Yes,
3: I was working before illegally with no salary. <laughs> that's why it doesn't count. <laughs> okay. Family business. <coughs>
1: that's how it is. Yeah. And, w- and what have you brought in- into the to the winemaking? Know, and what what has happened since you, you? Oh, that's
3: a good question. Um, Well, we have to start with the point that I'm in a very lucky position where I like the wines we make. My dad didn't like his father's wines. He didn't like what we had, what he had. I like what we have, and there's always, obviously, a margin of improvement. I'm not sitting there boring, not doing anything. But, uh, you know, there's always little details. Mm. I'm not going to change the fact that we're organic and we try to make clean wines and approachable wines. But uh, uh, there's always equipment that you can... I mean, for example, new crushing machines, new pumps. I haven't used the the idea that we still only age in barriques Mm. because so far I'm happy with that. Mm. Ask me this question in 10 years. Maybe in 10 years I'm going to use big botti or egg-shaped concrete eggs. tanks. I don't know. Um, I've been experimenting with some wines like the hand-stamped uno per uno Barolo, where the the grapes are hand-stamped. Uh, one thing it's funny I can say probably because I'm a woman I'm definitely more organized than my dad (laughs) so my dad would lose tools and break things and with us we don't lose things anymore (laughs) things don't break so just (laughs) stupid things like that but that's just a funny side but why making wise not much has changed but because I'm happy with what we have
1: yeah I get it that's
3: a fantastic position to be. Uh, definitely I'm super lucky but you know And it's also hard. I'm on the edge because people have a lot of expectations and they can't wait for you to fail so they can gossip and tell (laughs) bad things. But also a lot of expectation because they want to hear what you've changed. So I'm like, well, so far...
1: Nothing. mm, Well, um, people
3: tell me actually wines taste different. mm -hmm. But I say I haven't changed. So I guess just the fact that I'm there, I have a different staff and I, I have bought different equipment and maybe... You know, just a different way of doing I don't know what it could be, but people tell us the wines are different. Mm. Mm. But from my point of view, I don't see that much Much has changed. Um, we always joke and say that when we made good wines, I have a good team, great Altada stuff. When it's a bad vintage, it's my dad's fault. It's his <laughs> name on the label, so it's your fault, Elio.
1: <laughs> oh, poor dad. <laughs> But how many, can you tell us, uh, I mean, uh, how many hectares do you have and where do you have it? and. and oh, we're
3: tiny, tiny. So, mm-hmm. 10 hectares. Mm-hmm. Uh, family property is six. We lease about four. Um, maybe when he, I'm going to say, this sounds a little sad to say, but when it was time to buy land 20 years ago, maybe my dad didn't know if me or my sister would have worked at the winery. Actually, my sister left, so they didn't invest and b- bought land. Today, That I wished. I wish he had bought I cannot afford to buy land no. so I'm still renting four hectares and the vineyards are spread out mostly we're, ba- we're based in La Morra so most of the vineyards are in La Morra uh, we have some land in Monforte Barolo Castiglione Falletto, Serra Lunga so mm-hmm. we're actually kind of spread out on all the communes mm-hmm. which is a good thing because you plan the soils and the textures uh, 10 hectares gives us about 60,000 bottles average mm-hmm. 70, 50 that's where you work with and uh, my staff is huge. I work with six people, yeah. big company. <laughs> and right now that I'm here, I'm like already sweating, thinking about oh, when I'll call yeah. home and they're going to tell me something it has to be fixed or it's broken. They don't know how to do something. It's when nice, I'm, have a tight team. Uh, we're super tight. I always joke that I'm married with six guys. <laughs> they, they have two wives because they have their wives plus me because I, they have to be with me non-stop from March to December now we're getting to harvest time when I get home on Sunday I'm going to guess beginning of next week that's when we start Dolcetto and when a harvest starts 20 hours a day 15 yeah. hours a day don't ask me for a day off sorry no. you're so it's m- with me until you're November now. <laughs> Oh, this is kind of holiday for me yes <laughs> my guys are getting ready for harvest yeah mm-hmm.
1: But how, how big percentage, how, how much is Nebbiolo? How much is Dolcetto, Barbera?
3: Uh, good question. I want to say half of the production is still entry level wines Dolcetto, Barbera, Nebbiolo. Mm-hmm. Uh, the simpler wines. I'm going to say something maybe not very appropriate, but it's the cash flow of the winery. It's mm-hmm. what you, you make. Yeah, and you. bread and butter. Yeah, yeah, easy, fast sells and then so the other half of the production is uh, Barolo mm. um, we have a Barolo base so blend the vineyards a village a Barolo arborina Barolo canubi mm. which is a rented vineyard in Canubi Canobi. so Barolo town Ceretta which uh, we've been we rented for a almost, well, for 15 years, and I was able to buy a couple years ago, and then I started making Uno per Uno in 2010, so five Barolo labels, mm-hmm. and a few Lange wines, Yeah, and the Lange wines have fantasy names, La Rigi, Giarborina, La Villa, and these are probably the, still the heritage I have from my dad, from the revolution of, of the Barolo boys, because these are still the only wines where we make 100% new oak.
1: Oh, okay, yeah, okay. The other okay. wines now, mm. it's
3: mostly used wood, half and half. Mm. Um, but the Lange wines is literally still the heritage from the revolution of Barola. Yeah. And one last wine that kind of doesn't fit because it's a blend, but it's called L'Insieme, mm.
4: L'insieme.
3: Uh, which is a... I'm very fond of that wine, mostly because of the what it symbolizes. It's a, it's a together of varieties, but it's a wine club of friends making that wine. It's a charity wine. So it's only a thousand bottles of that wine, mm-hmm. and it's actually mostly cabernet, syrah, petit verdot. I don't want to be famous for cabernet, <laughs> Cira, petit verdot. I have like five rows of that, okay. but uh, the symbol, what it symbolizes, is pretty. Easy. So I have twelve labels actually in the portfolio.
2: can we just go back a little bit because you said um, how was it growing up in La Mara? because you talked yeah. a little bit about your dad meeting all his all these famous today very famous winemakers how was it
3: well, as a kid, well, my, my parents were would never put pressure on me and my sister. Like they never said, "Oh, you have to be in the wine business." They said you could be a chef, an architect, whatever. My sister moved to Germany. She prefers beer and sausages, I guess.
4: <laughs> so, married, still quite
3: close. <laughs> See, yeah, she drives nine hours. She can drive. She's our between kids. She's got three now. She sells wine for us, so she's supposed oh, okay, to be our sales okay. manager. Yeah. But I mean, I grew up into the, into this business, which is. Like in any family business, you need to have the passion. You can just be, oh, Monday to Friday, goodbye, see you next Mm -hmm. week. No. Sometimes, again, like harvest time, 20 hours a day. So I grew up in a very passionate environment and um, not easy being a woman. Now it's easier. Mm -hmm. Now there's a lot of women winemakers. Even just when I started early 2000, I felt alone. Mm -hmm. There's one... Women I look at as my idol. She was the only Barolo girl in the Barolo boys group, which is Chiara Boskis from Pira. And I look at her as my superhero. I got her a picture on my fridge every morning. I say, Chiara, give me the inspiration. Because <laughs> she's super strong. She is like driving the tractor, racking wine, and putting makeup and flying to New York. Oh, that's fantastic. how yeah. I wanted to be when I was a kid yeah, yeah. and I think I, I do that so just so you know I left 2, 2.30 this morning but yesterday I was labeling all day so <laughs> yeah. today I'm like ah that's here cool. in Stockholm So, but um, there was no pressure but there was also some pressure so and it's, it's a very man-ish very physical business it's not just like oh romantic making no, wine no no, no. It's hard labor. It is, it is. People think it's just a romantic... No, 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 There's a lot more behind.
1: But before early 2000, what did you do then? I mean, you said you worked some, some part-time in, in the winery yeah, as well. Yeah, so, I mean, as you... a kid,
3: you always helped. Yeah. But I, 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 I graduated in economics in Torino, so I'm actually what I fixed at the winery was the numbers my oh. dad was a terrible number and <laughs> losing a lot of money so I'm like pretty good accountant <laughs> and uh, but I also did some I got some experience I worked in California I worked in Australia and I worked in Burgundy oh, okay. and mm-hmm. I traveled and at some point I started, officially started working in 2003 because that's when my parents said, okay, you're done with traveling? Uh, you want to come home and work? Uh, fun is over. So I'm like, okay, now I'm truly inspired. <laughs> I'm let's coming home.
2: <laughs> yeah, let's go. Uh,
1: Should we
2: try the wine that we have in front of us? Yeah, because let's do it. And you can it t- we just open it and yes. it's been traveling a bit as It's well, been shaken in the suitcase yeah, and I
3: brought a it. bottle of the Baruolo Uno Per Uno mm-hmm. 2012. So Uno Per Uno It's not a vineyard name It's a fantasy name
1: mm-hmm. And um, one, one by one One by one, yeah, yeah.
3: And the reason why we call it Uno Per Uno It's because the berries are pulled by hand One by one Instead of crushing them into the stemmer, crushing the stemmer The grapes are harvested We take them home You sit on a chair After 20 hours of work Or maybe 15 or whatever And you happily pull the berries one by one The idea was to I don't know, to achieve the, the most pure ingredients ever to make a wine. So I'm not going to say this is the best wine of the world. Again, we make mistakes. This is only the third vintage. Okay. So 2010 was the first one. But the ingredients to make this wine are the purest. There's no stems no bugs no leaves no spiders because guess what when you crack grapes there's a, there's lot, a lot of, of shit yeah. in those buckets <laughs> you a, you know? it, tex- it takes oh, you to oh, the wine So else. people when they ask me do you make vegan wine I'm like god spiders issues bugs So the idea was to achieve the purity of of nebula and see how if to check if nebbiolo really is that tannic as people describe it and uh so this is your own project. Well, the story is, um, I'll have to tell you, this is kind of funny. First harvest was 2010. Um, I'm going to say that it was back in 2009, the year before that harvest. Uh, we had a dinner in my house with my family and a bunch of friends. And um, we, were, we were all a little bit you know, drunk and at the end of the dinner my father pulled a bottle of our Lange La Rigi, which is mm-hmm. the Barbera we make in, in New Oak. Eighty six. Eighty six was a uh, average vintage for Piemonte. A lot of hail was bad. And we were joking with my father, Ha, you pulled, you know, the bad wine at the end when everyone is drunk and it's <laughs> because I never had that wine before. We only had twelve bottles left in the library. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we popped the cork and we tasted this wine. Everyone was like silent and we're like, Oh my god, this is good. How did you make Sorry, good wine out of a shitty, difficult <laughs> yeah. vintage. Yeah. And my father was like, you know, the grapes were so ugly that I I harvested everything, and then I hired some people to just pull the good berries out of the bad mm. grapes. Oh. And so instead of making the usual seven, eight barrels, he, I only made two. So he made 600 bottles. And those 600 bottles of La Rige 86... Beautiful. I never had that. So, But I was so drunk that night. I was like, <laughs> I want to do this too. But that was it. I was drunk. I forgot. <laughs> yeah. Then harvest came, 2010. And my father said, do you remember you said that? And I'm like, no. <laughs> do you want to try it? And I thought with my staff, with my guys, I'm like, sure. We 2010 is a beautiful vintage. Mm. And I'm like... Well, there won't be much selection to be done because grapes are already perfect. But let's try it. But then you realize that even if it's a perfect harvest, you still have some ugly berries Mm-hmm-hmm. and you shake the grape and you know the, the spiders, uh, the spiders fall, fall, up. fall off and <laughs> the bugs and there's no leaves, no, you know, the little top part, the stems. So we decided to do it. But the first hour was kind of cool. After two hours, you're like, really (laughs) after one week you're like why did we think of this so it's a very much labor intense work but the wine it's super silky yeah if you uh, i'm not a good you should do the description of the wine i'm definitely not Mm -hmm. good at that but the tannins are smooth and silky
2: and and there's tannins obviously but velvety velvety and soft very
1: velvety and and very
2: mature it's, they're not green at all no. they're very round and supple Absolutamente. Sí. and very tasty. this is taken from
3: the vineyard the grapes are sourced from the vineyard Arborina so if mm-hmm. you were tasting side by side Baruolo Arborina 12 mm-hmm. with this one Arborina is just regularly I'm going to say crushed with the machine mm-hmm. it tastes completely different mm-hmm. so how would you say is it mostly in the structure? in the structure mm-hmm. the wine would be a little bit darker mm-hmm. and it's more tanicky, yeah. tannic
1: this is very approachable. I mean, it's Young. 12, but it's, it drinks lovely Set. right now. Mm-hmm.
3: So well, this teaches us a lesson that Nebbiolo is, yes, it's the variety of tannins, but the tannins come also from the stems the that are left. <laughs> probably the <bugs. laughs> we, we probably have a lot of vegan followers, so we should <laughs> about that as well. I'm sorry. <laughs> but um, definitely, there's, now, they've invented some really cool machines now that almost do the job as a human eye and human yeah. fingers. Mm, They're just mm. too expensive. I can't afford them. There's a few wineries in Bro that bought that machine now. Okay. Mm. And I've seen it. It's not as perfect as human eyes and human fingers, but it's pretty close to it. Mm. So everyone is trying to achieve that silkiness. Yeah.
1: Um, how, how many bottles do you do, you said? So, that
3: one? Uh, four or five barrels. So that's 1,200, 1,500 bottles, depending. Mm. It takes a lot of time. I it's a imagine. lot of and it's during harvest time when you're busy, Mm. and if I can, um, I'm not gonna use a bad word, I'm just gonna use the initial, (laughs) so. We had to decide for a name for this wine. Yeah. And we were like, uh, I don't know, we don't want to call it Arborina by hand, Arborina number two. Mm. Would been, people mm. would be like, what is this? So then I thought maybe I'll call it, you know, fingerprint because it's hand and Then fingerprint was already taken. Uh-huh. Then I wanted to call it by hand, a mano, but that was already taken. And then we were like at home between us, between my staff, we call that the F wine. It's <laughs> like, yeah. we have to do that work. F again So I thought I call it the F wine And my father's like No (laughs) Really It would really be cool now So After a lot of thinking We thought Uno per uno One by one which wasn't taken yet, so it registered. But that's your plate is still the F wine. Oh, yeah, no, we call it the F wine.
1: <laughs> what about maceration and maturation of, of that one? How do you. So do
3: you the make it? maceration is slightly different than the usual Altare style because I, since it takes so long to physically do that process, it takes about a week, mm. while with the machine, it would take. 15 minutes. So there's some berries fermenting a week and some other yeah. berries fermenting 12 hours. So it's slightly long for Altare style, which is a week maceration when usually it's like four to five days. Mm. But the aging, it's then again in Barik.
1: It's Barik.
3: It's uh, out of four barrels, one is new and three are used or two are new. It depends. Mm, mm, but that's mm. almost 20, 30% new. Yeah. Okay. But the maceration action has to be different because of the time.
1: Yeah, it's beautiful wine. Beautiful.
2: Yeah, I'm really impressed with the perfume.
1: Because
2: yeah. It's very open and it's super floral. It is really floral, cute. yes. Mm.
1: And, and one thing
2: I, I get a
3: lot when we use this wine in blind tasting, and I don't know how to take this, but I get a lot, hmm, this tastes and smells traditional.
0: <laughs> like, have you
3: changed style? I'm like, no, really. But this action maybe makes the wine, well, probably the maceration
2: makes yeah. the difference yeah. too. yeah. Do you think the terms traditional, modern has been a little bit more blurred in the yeah, recent absolutely. years? People, at least we don't talk about it so much. No, it's anymore. It anymore. It's over.
3: Yeah. Because but this wine...
2: Everybody uses the best ideas and what they believe in, and people are tired of labels. So just try to Yeah, boxes it don't inst-
3: work anymore, absolutely. Um, but this wine tastes and looks different than Altara style. Mm, so mm-hmm. people are always like, ah, Silvio, you finally have changed. I'm like, no, nah, not really. <laughs> But um, I definitely don't believe believe in dogmas in general, and in wine even less. So it, it itches me when people come to the winery or I have people talk to me and say, "Oh, you're modernist." Yeah, my dad was a modernist forty years ago. Mm. Now I'm a contemporary yeah. modern oh, or yeah, I'm yeah, a temp- yeah. you know yeah, a winemaker. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> everyone. If you visit now, wineries like. Um, I mean, I'm going to say a, a super traditional name, Cavalotto, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. Cavalotto has a, like a lineup of rotary fermenters, but you still call Cavalotto a modernist. Mascarello still uses the big, you know, botti, mm-hmm. but some of them are made of French oak. So what? Yeah. So, so w- there's we concrete
1: gotta, and stuff as yeah, well. so
3: we've got to find out new adjectives. This is kind of boring to put us in boxes now. We've yeah. got to think about new, new, new things
1: to talk mm. about. But are there any if you talk about Piemonte in general or Barolo in general are there any specific trends I mean people going towards biodynamic or anything exciting happening in the region you would say
3: uh, biodynamic is very hard where we yeah. live because of the weather so yeah. it's, it's kind of a challenge and I see friends of mine losing all their crop because oh, they're trying yeah. it's organic it's kind of normal these days mm-hmm. so it was very unusual 40 years ago when the revolution started but if someone sprays today, you're just, like, pointing at that guy. You can see. So <laughs> everyone is organic. What is changing? Um, a lot of women into the business now. That's good. Women power, for sure. Mm. And um, somehow there was a trend of, you know, going to barrels. Now it's a trend to go back to botty yeah. or mm. concrete. Mm. Um, and my generation is very experimental. I see a lot of, uh, again, concrete, egg shape. Yeah. I see amphoras now. So it's continues. Challenge. I don't see a mainstream, a main idea, mm. but every winery has his own path. Mm. For mine, for me, where again, what we're doing, I still believe in it, so I'm still following it. Yeah, mm. yeah. But let's do this again in ten years. <laughs> yeah, I exactly.
1: What, um, what I Yeah, because what do you think? When do, your, when do your wine drink best? I mean, this is beautiful now. How long should you keep it, in your opinion?
3: Uh, I have no experience. First time, no, of course, first but, you to Santana. But definitely, uh, it's a long-lasting last, wine. Mm. Altare wines, my dad's wines... Um, well, I can talk about the 70s and 80s, because I still have all these bottles, and they're still beautiful. If you store it well, temperature and, you know, right storage, it's always the same story. If you... If you start with a good wine, it's going to be good also in mm. 20, 30 years. If you start with a uh, uh, okay wine, it's not going to get that much no. better. That no. was the problem with at least my grandfather's wines. I can generalize, but my grandpa was like, the wine now is arse dry and smells like chicken shit and it's acidic. <laughs> Wait, 25 years. Well, grandpa was wrong. <laughs> well,
2: you, when you open some of your grand, uh, grandparents' wine... How do they taste today? Are they still very breathy? Or, yes. Yeah.
3: Well, you, it depends on the vintage. Some vintages, yeah. I guess, I'm going to say, I don't know if I can say he was lucky or it yeah. was just... It, some wines are really good. Some yeah. others are really like, damn, ugh, you <laughs> didn't really clean anything back then. And it's just that the idea of his maceration was from September to basically November. He uh-huh. was two months at least three months on the skins but why he was macerating so long because he had other things to do he had to harvest apples and potatoes and whatever yeah, it was convenient Convenient. and then he would come and drain the juice but the juice the wine that came out was basically almost already brick color mm-hmm. had no fresh fruit and it was super high acid and dry tannins mm-hmm. that's and I cannot generalize because there were some great winemakers back then already. But my grandpa was definitely in the category of not the exciting ones. So you've got to be lucky. But with with the new generation, I think the quality is definitely stabilized. Mm. So it's almost hard to drink a bad wine today in Piemonte. You really have to search mm. for it. Mm.
2: I think it's fantastic that you still have a library. Oh, yes. Um, so for the next generation as well to be able parties. to follow exactly <laughs> yeah. to follow the, <laughs> the name, I have 10,000 bottles in the library I mean that's a lot. it must be yeah. an, unusual for like a it smaller is, demand yes. in Piemonte because
3: people need a cash flow exactly. so, absolutely so yeah. the idea of a library started with, a, with the generation that started traveling to France mm. my dad always says I was going to these wineries and I would see this stack of old wines and they were like why are you keeping wine mm. and that's smart, You started
2: yeah, and so I today it's very rare when you talk to yep. the men in Piedmont it's like no we have nothing no 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 yeah. we, <laughs> have, we vintage, have a lot of wine. vintage the wines need some age absolutely yeah. Yeah.
3: and potential. since a few years now more than 10 years we started to store wine for a late release so I'm gonna mm. go I haven't decided when I will release it but I'm going back to 05's which oh, is not oh that's lovely. a lot, yeah. lot of time because we needed cash flow as you said yeah. so from 05 I think we got we were more stable so Oh five, maybe
2: you know in two thousand twenty. I don't know. I'll release something. Yeah. Oh, that's, something, so. that's Especially a good idea for restaurants. Yes, yes, very yeah. interesting to have yeah. more older vintages. it's
1: well, a great idea to also to get wines that you actually are ready to drink. Yeah, and then, by then.
2: they've been stored at the winery,
1: right yeah. temperature yeah. in the dark and yeah. properly stored.
2: We usually have some like food recommendation or something that do you have any particular traditional dishes that you love to cook with your wines? or
3: um, I am a good... Well, I claim to be a good cook. I don't know. But I love eating. So in my family... Or in Italian blood runs pretty normal to be yeah. a good eater, a good cook. But definitely Piemonte food is based on... Uh, carbohydrates and fat (laughs) the best things in life (laughs) so if you're planning to visit Piemonte and you're vegan you should think about it twice if you're vegetarian you might survive vegan is a lot rough but uh, a nice pasta could be a pasta with ragu with Mm. meat sauce or ravioli or uh, just beef braised in wine so I Barolo it's good with anything that has a little bit of power obviously but a silky Barolo like this even a, a you know a light antipasto will be fine. Mm. A vitello mm. a carne cruda, doesn't have to be something rich, but it definitely would be maybe hard to pair with sushi. <laughs> or, yeah, sure. but um, Piemonte food definitely is designed for the wine we have, and the wine we have is designed yeah. for the
1: food. Yeah. Yeah. It's
2: comfort food.
3: For uh, sure, we hand. love it?
1: Mm, definitely. Um, I'm personally I'm, I'm really a really fan of dolcetto. Do you what what kind of how would you describe your dolcetto, the taste profile, what, what, what are you after, what do you want to do there?
3: I'm happy you, uh, we have a dolcetto fan, because yeah. everyone like, thinks of, talks about Barolo and never yeah. talks about I love dolcetto, it's our everyday wine. I wish I could drink Barolo every day, mm-hmm. we don't. Uh, dolcetto, cold from the fridge, in an ice bucket, mm-hmm. the best aperitivo ever. You ice have bucket. it with a panino, yeah. salad, and the best pair in the world is pizza. Pizza mm-hmm. and dolcetto, Puff perfect Mm -hmm. so we do make dolcetto and people sometimes say oh it's so much effort in making that wine and then Mm. it's cheap well first of all we like it and it's a tradition of of all our families and again it's the cash flow for the winery but dolcetto is the first step for customers to approach Tannins, Mm -hmm. to approach nebbiolo to approach you know piemonte wines so i'm a big fan of dolcetto especially cold
1: cold yes
2: we are really struggling in Sweden because ah. people generally want their red wine to be a Very little bit warm,
1: warm
2: <laughs> but here we really <laughs> ice buckets. Ice bucket. oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a good thing yeah. especially for those fresh grape varieties
1: yeah definitely well. I think we're um, that's about it good really and lovely wine I love. fun to taste that thanks for, for, well, for bringing it if you don't
3: know it. what to do in October I have a chair for you you can oh. sit down and go dead. at the beginning all my friends started coming and they're like oh my god this is so exciting after one hour so yeah put on some exactly. music
2: can we smoke <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> it's like, it's we, we can do a shout wine. out if anybody loves to pick grapes one by one yeah. Yeah. just and send I'm us an email and exactly. We forward of contact. Oh my guest, <laughs> Silvia thank you very much for coming and sharing your experiences and lovely wine well
1: yeah. thank yeah. you yeah. for
2: having me
3: grazie mille it was a, my pleasure
1: and have a uh, the like uh, rest of the stay cheers
2: grazie